Father, thank you that we can be here tonight challenged already to think about how the enemy of our happiness might be stealing a march on us. May he not be able to steal our soul away one sin at a time, but may our lives be yours and may we be in the word and keep our commitments and may we go happy to the kingdom with you. Forgive our sins now and come draw near to us. Bless this last part of the evening and may our hearts be open to your teaching. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, last night I reminded you it takes more than a head to understand and benefit by Bible prophecy. If your heart's not open to what Jesus is showing you, then you'll see what you want to see. Now this is particularly pertinent as I start a message tonight on the signs that precede the coming of Jesus. Because some of what I'm going to say, some of you have already made your minds up on. But if God can't change your mind, there's a record in heaven that shows. Last night I talked to you about the gift of prophecy revealing the secrets of your heart. God keeps a record. And in God's record book, He has a, whether it's a, I mean, we talk about books. But there's an entry every time the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart. There's a witness. So I'm challenging you tonight to deviate from the current strategy and habit of the world which arranges its belief system based on what it wants to believe. And before we're all said and done, you'll understand what I mean. When I was a ninth grader, I didn't know much about small engines. I was in a church school. I thought everybody there was a Christian. I had a lot of learning to do. Everybody in church is not a Christian either. I hope you know that. It's good that they're there. They might become a Christian while they're there, but just because they're there doesn't mean they are. And here I was as a new Christian, baptized for maybe a couple years, and we had done some work on a small engine and it was time to shut the engine off or we were going to do work on the small engine is probably more accurate because I think I would have known this by the time we had done the work and the engine was there just put, 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 putting in the parking lot of the church school I was at and it was time to shut it off and go in and I knew very little about the physics of an internal combustion engine but I want to tell you something a spark plug is a very interesting piece of equipment. And for it to work, it needs somewhere around 15 to 25,000 volts of electricity to ionize the gases between the two metal prongs where the spark will jump. Now, for those of you who know less about small engines than I did back then, the piston going down sucks the gas and air into the engine. The piston going up compresses it. The spark jumps from the point on the spark plug down to the hook and it ignites the gaseous air and bang, you have an explosion and it throws the piston down and that's where the power comes from. Now how many thousand volts did I say it takes to get to where you can uh, ionize the gases between the metal tips? 15 to 25,000 volts. Now that engine was just 
pumping away there. And it was time to shut it off. And one of my friends, I won't give his name because it's a small world, one of my friends said, Ron, just reach over there and touch the spark plug and that'll shut it off. True or false? Well, it's true. It would have shut off and I would have crumpled to the ground because all of the muscles in my body would have had a temporary override on the very slight electrical currents that control them. And guess what else would have happened? He would have become a comedian and I would have been the laughing stock. But as I was reaching over to turn the engine off, one of my friends said, Ron, don't. Tonight, there may be something in this presentation where I'm the one talking to you saying, don't. Because the Bible says, for lack of wisdom, my people are destroyed. So you're here tonight, and hopefully you'll join us night after night over the next ten nights to make sure you understand the rudimentaries of Bible prophecy. Jesus, towards the end of his ministry, actually in his last week, had left the temple. And as he's leaving and he turns around, sitting on the Mount of Olives, he's looking at a magnificent white building with a few golden caps. And he says, the day is coming when not one stone will be left upon another. Now this is a pretty amazing prophecy. And when the apostles asked him, the disciples, they had not really yet been commissioned to take the message to the world, so they're not apostles yet, but they will be. When the disciples asked him about times, they asked two questions at once. When will this be and what will be the sign of the coming of your, aid, of your kingdom? And in Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 21, we have signs of the coming of Christ. Tell us when these things will be. Tell us what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So we have two things here. The sign of your coming and the end of the age. The destruction of Jerusalem and the coming of Jesus. And the first thing Jesus said was, take heed that no one deceives you. Now if I were the devil, I'd be trying to set an entire culture up, especially one that calls itself Christian. I'd try to be setting it up to where it would lose all of its moral credibility. And I would do it in some very insidious ways. Some of it would be very subtly destroying the moral power that commands influence and credibility when one speaks on issues of morality. Some of it would be simply by deceiving them on Bible doctrines. But I want you to know the adversary of our soul, Satan, has a thousand ways to deceive us. The good news is Jesus can shield us from deception if we love the truth. If you don't love the truth, there's 999 other lies out there waiting for you. And that's why last night, in reference to John 7:17, 7, Jesus, talking to his audience, said, if you want to know whether the doctrine really comes from God or not, you have to be willing to obey the truth. 
So if tonight you've come and you've decided ahead of time that you're not changing on anything and you've got your mind made up, you're in the wrong place and I'm not wasting your time, but you're here wasting it. But if you care to come, and as the book of Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge them, then He will direct your paths. And I want to tell you, friends, there's some turbulent, troublesome, traumatic times in front of this world. And really, this message has the power to scare people very, very badly, except I want you to remember, I told you last night that the work of a prophet is to edify, to teach and instruct, to exhort, which is to remind or reprove about right and wrong and to strongly encourage to do right, and to console. So the last thing I want to do when you walk out of here tonight is have you go out of here afraid or troubled. And I know that when I show you some of the things I'm going to show you and talk about some of the facts that I'm going to talk about because these are things Jesus said would happen and they're happening just as He said, there will be a temptation for some to go out very troubled. I want you to know tonight, Jesus is the rock of ages and we can hide in Him. He knows where all of His children are all the time. And He's made promises to take absolute great care of us. Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in My name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Now, I don't, I'm not going to put up a lot of slides on this uh, topic. I am here to tell you if you think the day of Jim Jones and Guyana and cyanide lace Kool-Aid are over, you need to think again. There are still dozens and hundreds of imposters with tens of thousands of followers who follow people who say that they are Jesus incarnate. If someone says that to you, you should be terribly concerned and it should be evidence to you that they are now acting as the Antichrist because Jesus made a promise when He came back, every eye was going to see Him. And like the lightning that shines from the east to the west, there'd be no confusion. Nobody who says they're Christ on this earth is. But I want to tell you something. We are being trained. How are we being trained? I listened today on the radio. Boy, today was a rich moment for the few minutes I spent in the car. Someone is uh, doing study on how much we are being trained by the devices that we're carrying around. It's not so much that we're learning how to use them, but they're learning how to use us. Which is why if they say to you, he's in the desert, don't go out and look. He's in the inner room, don't go out and believe it. Well, you're not going to run to the desert and you're not going to run to the inner room because you won't have to. You'll just have to run to the right channel, the right URL, the right website. But I'm warning you tonight, Satan has been training this age to be sensory directed. And if they see it on a screen, they think it's true. And so when they say, go to this site to see Jesus, He's working miracles. It's real. It's happening. I saw it. Don't go. You are waiting. To, you are inviting the devil to deceive you if you do this. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, I'm going to talk about doctrines of demons farther into this series. They'll speak lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. 
We uh, had a 36-foot-tall statue of Nebuchadnezzar made out of one redwood tree that is touring the state of Michigan right now. It was here. It will be back here for the third week of October when we have a Daniel 11 conference. If you have any more interest in prophecy when we're done with these 12 nights, come on October 17, 18, and 19, and we'll study the book of Daniel more. When that statue was in Big Rapids, sitting in a strip mall, it was manned by people who had interest, who were Christians. And there was a woman at that statue who had been delivered from witchcraft. For the two hours she was there, tell me God is not alive. She was there for two hours. And in that two hours of, of the, the days it was there and the different people who sat in that booth, God sent someone else who was trapped by witchcraft to that very person for the brief little bit of time they were there and one who had been a witch was able to witness to one who was leaving witchcraft behind. Can you say amen? Amen. I want to tell you living in an age of seeing is believing goes quite along quite well along with empirical science where everything has to be tangible, provable, touchable. But friends, we are coming up to a period of time in earth's history when that which is beyond the view, we call it the paranormal. We call it that which is beyond sight. We believe there's a spiritual world and that there's a battle going on between good angels and bad angels. The time will come soon in the history of this earth when evil angels will take the form of, of men and women and they will perform lying signs and wonders. And those who have been trained to believe it because they saw it are going to be deceived. We have all kinds of things. I mean... I'm, I'm going to say something that may offend some of you parents, but I'm going to say it anyway. Harry Potter is a wizard. Do you know what a wizard is? A wizard is a male witch. And all the things, if your children have watched his programs, watched the programs and read the books, and I just can't believe this, there were parents out there who were saying things like, well, at least they're reading. Oh, yes, they are. They're reading their way on the road to hell. These things are a preparation. All of the focus and phenomena on the occult, spiritualism. When I was a boy, you'd watch TV where the red fern grows and Old Yeller. But most of the movies that are produced now by the same production studios have people coming back from the dead. And there's a reason. And I'm going to talk about it farther on in the series. Yes, indeed, we are being programmed. And false prophets, every man or woman that stands in a pulpit and holds a Bible in their hand is not a true prophet. If somebody is not able and willing to speak the truth in love and to follow the Scriptures and explain their doctrine clearly with the Scriptures... You could be dealing with a false prophet. One of the signs Jesus said is you will hear wars and rumors of wars. I like that he says, see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. The book of Revelation tells us that nations were angry. World War II. My grandfather was a cook in both the army and the navy. And for those that survived the war, millions having paid the ultimate price, they came home dealing with things that probably were undiagnosed for sure. We called it shell shock. 
Today they call it post-traumatic stress disorder. It's estimated that in the 20th century alone, 280 million people have died in war. Probably close to the sum total of the entire history of the world. And we don't know when we're doing anything but staring down the potential of another conflagration just in front of us. Global conflict is something that is potentially waiting to break out at any moment, whether it's a drone delivering an explosive device to a Saudi oil refinery or whatever it might be. We have powder kegs even still. Jesus said there would be other signs, famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. A very disturbing picture. 925 million people, almost a billion, are malnourished or hungry. And how many are dying because there's not a lack of food? Listen, you can't get the extra that's on your plate to China. But let's not make light of the fact that there are places where people actually do go without the simplest little bit of sustenance. We live in a very wasteful age. It's estimated that 220 pounds of food are wasted by Americans every year. That's a lot of waste. When we think about pestilences, we think about diseases that can't be cured and diseases that are becoming, anti, uh, becoming resistant to uh, antibiotics. It's a very real threat. There are hospitals that you don't want to go into because you might get something that goes out with you after you long were cured of what you went in for. And some of you know people that have come out of those hospitals with MRSA or something else that just hangs on them for a long, long time. Those bugs have the chance to breed and rebreed. And the strongest, now we use the word cocktail when we talk about antibiotic treatment. You know this, don't you? And there are times when you have sicknesses and the doctor has to decide how potent of an antibiotic does he want to throw at you. It wasn't that long ago that we saw this disease. Anybody want to take a guess which this disease is in reference to? Ebola. It wasn't that long ago that it made it to America. And by the way, it's cropping up again. We think about lifestyle issues. How is it that we could know so much and be so good at destroying ourselves? We have an epidemic going on in our country of several lifestyle diseases. Heart, circular, pulmonary, diabetes. These are things that are creeping up on us and at some point in time just the economic demand upon us is going to become overwhelming. Almost a million people a year still die from AIDS. And yes, indeed, it is more treatable than it's ever been before. Pestilences, earthquakes was something else. This is just a little snippet from a Time website. 1,060 earthquakes have hit Southern California. I didn't read the article, so I don't know exactly how long, but I do want to show you some statistics from our government, you know, the United States Geological Society. Now, in the top left, you see the years for the earthquakes. 12,000 to 15,000 per year from 2000 to 2003. Well, let's go a little farther. When we go from 2005 to 2008, the number is quite a bit higher. And when we go up to the next segment of time, we see that it's more intense still. 
Now, there have been people who have always been asking, is this just because we have better recording devices? Well, I want to tell you, the quality of instrument between the year 2000 and this year is not that much improved. As a matter of fact, many of those instruments have probably been in place for those two decades. What I want you to see is that what Jesus said was going to happen is not only happening, but it is happening with an increasing intensity. That's too small for you to read, but that's just the earthquakes from this year. And then wouldn't you know it, a rich day for the news. Didn't I say that? On the way in today, the report of two earthquakes. Puerto Rico, a 6.0, as it's preparing for a tropical storm. And then also Pakistan, 20 people killed. So keep calm is the headline. 6.0 earthquake rattles jittery Puerto Rico as tropical storm Karen strengthens. That is today's news. I didn't make this up. And then when you look at it, what you can see was that at 11.23, it was a 6.0. There was another one at 11.32 that was 5.1, and another one at 11.51 that was a 4.4. And of course, these are exponential uh, growth. So the difference between a 5.1 and a 6.1 and a 6 is a multiple. I don't remember if it's 100 or 1,000 times more. It's an amazing increase in intensity with every step up the Richter scale. This one in Pakistan killed 20 people. Again, right off today's news. And then I was quite surprised because in today's news was also a report on an earthquake that happened on Sunday in America, Samoa. Now, why did that get my attention? Because I have a daughter who's a student missionary in the South Pacific on a little island called Palau. And of course, these things begin to take on a different sense of importance to us when we know somebody. When they're so far away, it seems like it's in another world. And we're insulated in America from many things. And of course, by the time things happen in America, we have a preparedness that most places don't. There'll be signs in the sun and moon and the stars. And on the earth, dismay among the nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. We've seen a deepening intensification of the storms that make their way around the world, including to America. But America is not the only place, whether it's the Philippines or some other far-flung location. These storms have an increasing intensity. The sea, indeed, is roaring. So whether the name is Katrina or Rita or Harvey or a list of a whole host of others, it wasn't that many years ago that America was pummeled by one hurricane after another to where people questioned whether or not the insurance system could keep up with the losses. We've had somewhat of a reprieve, but friends, don't be confused. Just like a woman who has the baby inside her and is close to coming, there are moments when they think the baby's near and the labor subsides. But it's still a wake-up that it's close. When we think about Children on islands like Palau, we think about tsunamis, and it's in my lifetime that we've seen some fairly serious ones. But it's not just that we have lots of water and strong waves, sometimes we don't have enough. And when we think about the droughts in California, at one point in time, there was a serious, serious concern about water. And I don't know if you caught the news, but in Chennai, which was, which is formerly called Madras in India, the water supply got so low that they had to truck, they had to bring the water in by trains. They actually ran out of water. And this is a city of many millions. I've been there. 
So now we can see a little bit of difference. And the good news is, this here is looking down on Lake Tahoe. It's not hard to see the snowpack and the difference. The good news is, is that uh, 580 billion gallons of water were added to the reservoirs, or at least to the countryside, and much of it to the reservoirs of California. And they consider the drought to be at least potentially over. And if I was living in California, that'd be awfully good news. But California has a variety of other problems because even if they can save up enough water, it doesn't make them immune from this. Does anybody know where this is? It's paradise. And by the way, the Seventh-day Adventist Church had a very large uh, church there and a hospital. It was what you might call a sizable Adventist community. We're not a large group of people around the world but I want to tell you when the fire was on it was on I have a son living in Southern California and just when I'm out to see him I can drive somewhere and be looking along at a parched scorched landscape and this is the remains actually of the Seventh-day Adventist Church when it was still smoldering in Paradise California gone a whole city basically gone And if it was just one fire in one place, we'd say, so what? And of course we know there's cycles in everything, and there's there's bubbles, and there's troughs. Of course we know this. But what we need to know is that Jesus said, this world was like a garment, and it's wearing out. And then we think about probably one of the most controversial things I'll talk about tonight, and that is the economic engines of progress that are belching forth carbon dioxide and causing people to have serious concerns. When I was a teenager attending public college in central Illinois, the environmental issue of the day was uh, acid rain. Well, it was localized. So if our Midwestern uh, smokestacks were belching out carbon dioxide and it was acidifying the rain and it dropped in the northern Adirondacks of New York. It was a long ways away. But friends, I want to tell you, global warming, whether it's natural caused or man-made caused, global warming appears even by many conservatives. And this is a superbly politicized debate and I don't care to make a political discussion out of this tonight. But what I do want you to know is that more and more of the world believes that it is happening. And when we get reports like this, they are not from the United States uh, NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric uh, Administration. This one here comes from the United Nations, which happens to be a collection of most of the nations of the world. Is there a conspiracy? Some of you think there is, and maybe there is. But it does appear that many believe that there is a problem with an earth that has a fever. I watched a news report from either today or yesterday, and while I was watching it, I thought it was very interesting. Their subtitle there, I wouldn't want you to miss it, there's a climate of fear. That's what's happening. This lady, Greta Thunberg, 16-year-old woman, sailed with some of her friends from Norway to New York, where she would address the United Nations. Some believe that she's being taken greatly advantage of. Others subscribe to what she's saying. I want, I want you to look at the picture for just a minute ago. If you did not listen to the five-minute speech, you ought to listen to it. I have just, I have part of it here. And as I listen to a little bit of it, just driving back and forth, she makes some amazing statements. Uh, there's a scientific calculation about how many gigatons of carbon we can put into the atmosphere before we reach a tipping point. She comes down to the end of her message 
And she says, with today's emission levels, the amount of CO2 we can yet spew into the, into the atmosphere leaves us with probably at current rates less than eight and a half years. I'm paraphrasing just a bit. But now I'm going to quote, there will not be any solutions or plans presented in line with these figures here today because these numbers are too uncomfortable and you are still not mature enough to tell it like it is. Last two paragraphs. You are failing us, but the young people are starting to understand your betrayal. The eyes of all future generations are upon you. And if you choose to fail us, I say we will never forgive you. We will not let you get away with this. Right here, right now is where we draw the line. Now listen to this sentence. The world is waking up and change is coming whether you like it or not. Sober, sober. I'm going to skip some of this. I want you to know before I go into these next slides that right now the world, a large part of the world, especially the United States, is not terribly troubled by some of this. We are in a moment of economic boom. But I want to assure you, if the numbers on these boards were not as high as they were, and they are, I mean 25, 26,000 for the Dow Jones, if we were to find ourselves at an unfortunate re recycling of the years 2007 and 2008 like this, I want to tell you, all the rest of the troubles of this world would look much darker than they do right now. One author that I value very much says that the final movements will be rapid ones. I want to tell you, the difference of that day in October when everything was the roaring 20s and then it was the Great Depression was a very quick move. And while we might have the luxury of thinking these things are all at arm's length away from us, in one very short stroke, we could find ourselves without the anesthesia of economic thrills and opportunities. And the world would look very different. Yes, indeed, our world is troubled in many, many ways. But Jesus said, all of these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Now, if there's one thing I want you to know before I'm done here tonight, that one of the megatrends of the last days will be an intensification of every ill that man faces. This is what we should expect. It's not just that they're recording it more and we're hearing about it more. It's that it's happening more. In the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the, of the world in the days of man. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intent of his thoughts was only evil continually. The earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. The looting, the violence that breaks out in different places. And indeed many believe that this is their solution. But does anybody know what this is? I'll put the date up. Can anybody pull the name out of their hat? It goes along with a flower. This is Columbine. And all of those little marks represent damage due to bullets. But you know, we've had a long march down into the decadence of violence over the last 20 years. In Aurora, Calif Aurora Colorado, at a movie theater. Sandy Hook Elementary. Charleston Church shooting in South Carolina. Pulse Nightclub. Sutherland Springs Church in Texas. All of those chairs and roses represent people who lost their lives. And of course, Las Vegas is someone opened from a high-rise building near a concert. 
And Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, we're getting a little closer up. And of course, this summer, almost on exactly the same day in a Walmart in Texas, so in Ohio. And one of the elders of our church was actually a chaplain on duty. And some of the people that were wounded in this one were brought and he was giving care. Now listen, I know that most people don't die in mass shootings, but I also know that as a boy, you almost never ever heard of one. And now you almost just sort of shrug your shoulders. I hope not. But that's where we're at. Men's hearts failing them from fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Imagine what would happen if something that was cataclysmic and beyond the explanation of science were to afflict this earth globally. Now I want to transition to one last megatrend and then I'll pull it all together. The book of Revelation describes some very interesting symbols. I'm not going to explain them tonight. I'll do that later on. But I want to show you something in the description that's very important. So here's a seven-headed, ten-horned beast. Very important figure out of the book of Revelation, chapter 13. Now, you do me this one thing. I'm only going to put five or six verses up, but you count how many times the word worship is used. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. And the deadly wound was healed, and the world marveled after and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Those are religious terms. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Then speaking of another beast in the same chapter, which I will talk about tomorrow night, he says, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he t had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the beast in the first part of chapter 13 in his presence. And he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Now I'm going to hit the pause button right here. When the last spiritual battle breaks out on this planet, the Bible says there will be angels masquerading, dark angels masquerading as angels of light, bringing fire down in the sight of men. If you know your Old Testament, you understand that Elijah, the true prophet, met with 850 false prophets of Jezebel on Mount Carmel, and bringing fire down was the mark of the true God. Things are going to get so dicey at the end of time around religious themes that what used to be the measure of right will have turned into the measure of deception. And if you don't know it, and seeing is believing, the deception is yours. And he who deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now, if there's a reoccurring word in Revelation chapter 13, it's the word worship. How many times did you come up with? Five. But it's not quite done because in Revelation 14, the true voice of Jesus is announced by three messengers. 
I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, not the beast. For the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him, who? The Creator, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the water. Worship is going to be a big deal at the end. So there are three megatrends you should be expecting as we go forward from here. And I'm going to share with you what they are. Number one, you should expect an intensification of signs. Don't write it off as if we have better communication than we've ever had before. Some of our communication is more common than we've ever had before, but I'd hardly call it better in some respects. But there will be an intensification of signs. It's like a woman who's about to give birth. As a matter of fact, Jesus chooses that image because deliverance, delivery is what we call it when a baby's brought into the world, and deliverance is what Jesus is going to bring. The second thing you should expect is that men's hearts will be failing them from fear. There will be an ever-increasing sense of fear on the face of the earth. I didn't even talk about the fragmentation of civil institutions and political discourse tonight. And the last thing you should expect is that there will be a radical return to religion. This is what's going to happen. We were once a Protestant Christian nation, We have abandoned the reading of the Bible in favor of our plasma and LED televisions and our little five-inch screens in our pockets. We no longer know the Bible, which means we barely know God and know very little of Him. We are ripe for deception. We have been trained. We have been programmed through the common images of the occult and spiritualism. And indeed, this is what before us. But Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Now listen, friends, if you have leaned only on yourself, if you are by nature a fearful person, I want to tell you something. God knows where you're at every moment of the day. He knows how many beats your heart have taken and how many hairs have fallen off your scalp today. He knows how many more are going to grow back or won't grow back. He knows you need food. He told his followers that he takes care of the flowers and the birds. And aren't you of great, greater interest to him than that? And this promise is one I want to leave you with. It's out of the book of Isaiah. Hear, you who are afar off, what I've done, and you who are near, acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. This describes the world just before Jesus comes. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. And then here's this question. Who can deal with this? Things out of our control are going on. Who can have confidence? And Isaiah answers it. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? That's a reference to the holy presence of God and to judgment. Who among us shall dwell with the everlasting burnings? Another reference to the sin-consuming God. And here's what he says. It's simple. He who walks righteously does what's right, speaks uprightly, is not a slander, a gossip, tells the truth. He who despises the gain of oppressions. In other words, he's fair. He doesn't overreach and take advantage of people. He who gestures with his hands, let's finish this out, who refuses bribes. In other words, they're not corrupt and they don't love money. He who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. Now listen to this. You have to remember, this is given against the backdrop of the ten tribes of Israel being conquered by the Assyrians. He will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of the rocks. His bread will be given him and his water will be sure. But I like this version much better. He will dwell on the heights. This is the New American Standard. His refuge will be the impregnable rock. 
I'm going to show you why I like it better. I'm going to go just a minute or two beyond eight. His bread will be given him and his water will be sure. Why do I like it? Because the difference between dwelling amongst the impregnable rocks or dwelling with the impregnable rock is huge. From the end of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus. And it's not in a few places. You study it out. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength. And my refuge is in God. Jesus said when you see these things, look up because your deliverance is near. I'm on my way. And by the way, God's kingdom is not going out as a cowering, fearful group of people. This gospel shall go to all the world, Jesus said. There's going to be a victory march by the Christians. And indeed, everybody's going to have a chance to know who the real God is. And tonight, friends, I'm inviting you to be a part of a people of faith whose fatherly and motherly care for you far out exceeds any care you've ever had for anybody in your life. That little reflection of your love for that little child or grandchild pales in significance to the love God has for you. And there is not a person who trusts in Jesus who needs to be afraid as they watch this world march towards chaos and come undone. Oh, there is an agenda. There is a conspiracy. And one of my messages coming up is entitled, The Destruction, The Last Conspiracy. But I'm appealing to you here tonight, friends. Three things you can expect as the world goes forward. An intensification of the signs, an increasing level of fear amongst men, and a radical return to religion. I did not say to God, and I'll explain that more in future nights. Let's pray. Lord, these are sober things. But I know tonight, Lord, you want to edify and exhort and comfort. You brought us all here. You have a plan to assure us. And while this world may seem to fall apart, thank you, Lord, that you are the rock. And you've invited us to build our house on your teachings, not on the sand, but on the solid ground of your promises. You're calling us into a relationship, and in that relationship you speak assurance. Save us, Lord. Some of us are very, very fearful by nature. We've had people who have betrayed and abandoned and let us down. Others, Lord, take a completely different confidence because they've learned you're trustworthy. And they've been raised and cared and nurtured for by people who are faithful. I'm praying tonight, Lord, may we accept your lordship and the security of your fatherly care as we face a world that is indeed troubled. Thank you now. Please give us a desire to walk humbly in the path of truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.